Hey guys, good morning. Give a Bible, you can turn to Acts. Um, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6. And if you don't know me, um, that's cool. But, uh, but to know um, kind of what I'm a part of is neat. Um, I'm pastoring the downtown congregation. Um, this whole Midtown movement is a movement of multiple congregations but one church. So as you guys are celebrating uh, Christ down here and the advancement of his kingdom, uh, there are those downtown that are doing the same thing. They're united with you guys in the celebration of what the Lord is doing through this movement. And we hope in years to come that there will be many more congregations, so you'll be one of many. And uh, that's awesome because I love being in cliques, and uh, it just makes me more comfortable with my life when I'm around people that are like me. No, I'm kidding. Uh, that would be weird, though, wouldn't it? You know? Did he just say he was racist? No. No, I'm not saying that. Uh, about three weeks ago, I need to set up what I'm going to talk to you about today because about three weeks ago, uh, we did something downtown that maybe will help you understand this a little bit better. The Lord really brought me to this place of, um, personally, of asking some very deep questions about His grace. And there's a story uh, in several of the Gospels. Uh, Mark was where I camped out mostly, where Jesus uh, saw a fig tree at a distance. Maybe you've not read this story. Um, but He goes over to the fig tree and to get some figs off of it, and there are no figs on the tree. And so Jesus curses the tree and says... You will never produce figs for anybody ever again. And then they go into Jerusalem. It was Holy Week. And he uh, became angry at the money changers in the temple that had turned um, the house of God into a house of commerce. And you know the story You know where he's kicking over tables and he's created a whip and he's driving them out. And uh, so after this Clint Eastwood moment in Jesus' life, they're leaving and they go back by the tree. And Peter goes, hey, look at the tree. It's rotted now from the root. And he looks at Jesus and goes, modern day translation, who are you? And he looks at him and he goes, hey, Peter, guess what? If you have very small faith and you tell that mountain to go jump into that ocean, guess what? It'll jump. That's his response to Peter. So a couple of weeks ago, we started asking ourselves a very serious question downtown, and that was this, that there's a line in Mark in that story that it says when Jesus came to the fig tree and it had no figs on it, and then this next word is what rocked our boat, because it was not the season for figs. So... Okay, I can tell that y'all thought that was profound, too. <clears throat> y'all are just rocked, man. Let me just stop and let that soak in, you know? Yes, I mean, let's close in communion now. Uh, here's the profoundness of it. Jesus cursed the tree because the tree wasn't capable of doing what was impossible for the tree to do. It was impossible for the tree to produce figs. And so Jesus cursed the tree because it didn't have any figs on it. So why would Jesus curse a tree for it not being able to do what was impossible for it to do? Now are you tracking with me? And we started this journey of saying Jesus has come to curse the normal. It was normal for 
uh, the church at that time not to be a house of prayer. That's normal. That's normal for us to turn this whole experience with God into religion. That's normal. It's normal for us not to engage with a, a living God through Son Jesus Christ. That's normal. It's normal for us to stumble time and time and time again in sin. It's normal for us to live in shame. It's normal for us to live in guilt. It's normal for our marriages to be kind of blue or for singlehood to be a real disappointment. That's normal. And Jesus came to curse the normal. That's not necessarily a fun thing to hear at church. So, let me take you to, Rome, to Acts chapter 6, because in that vein, uh, we see something very abnormal. We see the story of, uh, of a guy named Stephen. And I'm going to start reading in, uh, in verse 8, chapter 6. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, he did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. And opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue synagogue of the freemen, as it was called, Jews of the Syrian and Alexandria, as well as the providence of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak words, and they go on to accuse him. But what I want us to hear today is go back up to verse 3, and we see something that we saw here. The brothers were choosing seven men to feed the widows. Choose among you seven men who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we'll turn this responsibility over to them. And then in verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, did great wonders. Do you see the common thread in all those verses? Stephen was full of it. I mean, literally, he was full of the Spirit, he was full of wisdom, he was full of faith, he was full of grace, and he was full of power. And this was remarkable because Stephen was a man above other men because they had to choose seven among their fellowship and there were thousands in their fellowship now. Stephen was chosen because he was a man full of spirit, full of faith, full of wisdom, full of grace, and full of power. And so we began to wrestle with this question. How do we get that? Renee and I, last weekend... Uh, you know, we were just lazy Friday night, and uh, we were watching TV, and Casino Royale is on. Did y'all know that? The, the, the old James Bond movie. Um, have you seen that, Casino Royale? <laughs> Those movies fascinate me, because this guy is a guy you can get out of any situation. He can handle uh, any terrorist. He, uh, you know the scene where he has to use the defibrillator to bring himself back to life? I mean, he rescued himself. <laughs> That is intense. And then he seduced a woman after he did that. Like, he is the man. Near death and then romantic. I love that. So the next day, I, this literally happened. I was at Home Depot. And, um, and I was, you know, I don't know why I was at Home Depot. It just draws me on Saturdays. So I'm mindlessly wandering up and down the aisle, you know. Tools, 
you know, whatever. And uh, Renee calls and says, hey, I know that you don't know why you're there, but could you pick up an azalea bush? They have them for like three bucks. I said, no problem. So I'm wandering through the garden center. Okay, and uh, can any of you recognize an azalea bush from, say, 50 feet? One. June, you're the only one here. You are the chosen one. That was the test. The rest of you can leave now. How hard can it be? I mean, come on, an azalea bush. After 20 minutes of wandering around, okay, I'm literally, this thought is going through my mind. James Bond could save the world from terrorists, and I can't find a stupid azalea bush. What is wrong with me? And I even asked the guy. And so he's leading me. He goes, follow me, sir. You know, you could tell I was complete confusion. We're walking the garden. He gets a call from a customer. Okay. Now, if you call, there's some r- rule that, you know, you get precedence now. You're on the phone. Like that's got some kind of new authority because he's taking me about halfway and he's talking to this other customer and he goes, yeah, your bush is going to be over there somewhere. And he walks away. Like, dude, come back here. So how is it that Stephen could be filled with all these things? And yet we, when we look in the mirror, we say that may have been great for Stephen and that may have been great for the book of Acts, and that may have been great for the Bible, because like he's a Bible character. He has to have something special. But if I'm looking in the mirror, you know what? I, I'm just falling short. So let's do this. Go to Colossians chapter 2. And I'm going to just warn you, all right? Uh, let me just... In, I know that last thing was supposed to be funny. It wasn't. But this is not funny, all right? Uh, you are not going to believe what we're about to talk about. I mean, it really is going to be hard. Matter of fact, I would bet that most of you in this room uh, will not believe this. Because this is earth-shattering. And it's not because I'm saying it. It's because I'm nothing in the context of this. If this is true, it's earth-shattering. If it's not true, then uh, whatever. But if it is, are you kidding me? Let's go to chapter 2 and look what it says in verse 1. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. This is Paul. And for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally, my purpose, okay, listen, he, Paul is saying this is my purpose, is not that they may, is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have... Now stop. Now listen to this. Paul is saying, this is my purpose in writing to you. It's a Bible character. This is the Bible, all right? That you may have the full, here's that word, riches of complete understanding in order, okay? He wants them to have a full, a fullness in their understanding. And what is it that that fullness of understanding is going to produce in the lives of these people? It's this, that you may know the mystery of God. Well, that's cool. I love mystery. What's the mystery? Namely, Christ. So Paul is saying the whole purpose is that you would have supernatural understanding, that you'd be full of that understanding so that you can know the mystery of God, which is Christ. Okay, gets better. Go down to verse 9. 
For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And what I want you to get from that is that Stephen was full. He was full of spirit. He's full of grace. He's full of wisdom. He's full of, you know, he's full. But what it's saying here is that if there was ever a man that was full completely to the top, without exception, every day, every breath, every walk of his life, it was Jesus. Jesus was the epitome of what it means to be full. You agree with that? It's okay if you don't. All right? But I hope you struggle with it. Because here comes the bombshell. Verse 10. And you have been given fullness in Christ. Really? Let me tell you what that means. If you're in Christ today, Stephen did not have anything that you don't have right now. What Stephen had in Acts in the early church, you've got it. In all the proportions, you've got all the grace. It's not like Stephen needed more grace than you. No, you got the same amount of grace. It's not like Stephen got an extra dose of faith. You've got the faith. It's not like Stephen's been given something special, like the special Holy Spirit that's kept in a jar up on a shelf somewhere. That was for Stephen, but you get the like discount Holy Spirit. No, you get the same Holy Spirit. Whatever Stephen was full of, if this passage is true, and you're a Christian today, and you're standing in Christ, and He is your one truth, then guess what? You have everything that Stephen had at that moment in the book of Acts. Isn't that hard to believe? I'm telling you, it's hard for me to believe. Because it's hard, it's easier for me to believe that I'm not full than it is for me to believe that I'm full. It's easier for me to believe that I'm screwed up than it is for me to believe that I am a precious treasure. It's easy for me to believe in my shame and my guilt and my doubts and my criticism and my cynicism and my inconsistencies and the way that my life isn't going the way that I want it to go. That is easier to believe in than it is to believe that all the fullness of Christ has been given to me because of what Christ did on the cross for me. Because my reality doesn't seem to reflect that reality. Are you tracking with me? Do you find that hard too? I came across this. Uh, this is from Aquila and the Bee. Y'all, have y'all seen that movie? Wow, you guys are so quiet today. Like we should just. Aquila and the Bee. Yeah, thank you. Should we just do the wave to kind of get everybody moving a little bit? You know, I, I'm used to a little bit looser crowd. All right, so come on. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You're a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to, to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it is in all of us. 
And as we let our light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we liberate, as we're liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Isn't that awesome? You see, what I want us to see, and this is what the Lord is doing, because, you know, when if if that's true, uh, things can't be normal anymore, right? If if that's true, you know, struggling with little sin, uh, it's not an option not to do that because you're full now. Jesus was showing us this way. If we go to the Gospel of John, listen to what we hear Jesus say about his own life. Jesus said in John chapter five, verse thirty. I can do nothing on my own. That was the Messiah that said that. And track with me. In chapter 7, in verse 16, Jesus said, My teaching is not mine, but it is His who sent me. In chapter 8, He says, I speak these things as the Father instructs me. In chapter 10, it says, If I'm not doing the work of my Father then do not believe me. What I want you to see in that is that Jesus was explaining to us what a full life looks like. A full life looks like one that is constant dependency upon the Father. And Jesus was saying that He modeled that life to where there was never a time in His life that He realized that He could separate Himself from the reality that He was full of the love of the Father because He always lived in connection of knowing that I can do nothing on my own. And he was living that life so that we would see that's what life in the Spirit looks like. That's what life in this new way of living is, being connected with the Father. That's why Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Hmm. So how do we do that? Like, how do we abide? Like, how do we live out of this fullness like Jesus did with the Father? You know, this word that... uh, It's interesting if you do a study of this word full, it's all over the Bible. And it's like, the Bible's just obsessed with that word, which is kind of cool. It's a Greek word called polero. And uh, it means to carry into effect or bring to realization or to realize something, it also denotes this idea of soaking. Like taking a sponge and putting it in a bowl of liquid and that sponge absorbing that liquid and then that sponge actually being filled with that liquid. And so I believe, like Stephen, that we are to soak. And what does that look like? So go to... If you have a Bible and you want to go with me, go to Acts chapter 7 and uh, in verse 55 and keep your finger there and then we're going to do some Bible gymnastics here, okay? So don't sprain a finger. This is Colossians 3 verse 1 and listen to these two texts as they're kind of read in parallel with one another. Okay. Stephen. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit after he'd given his long speech in defense, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. 
Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Colossians 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Do you see the pattern here? Stephen was in the middle of the biggest crisis of his life. This was it. As soon as he gave verbalization to the revelation that God had given him, he knew it's over. They screamed and they covered their ears and they dragged him out uh, inside the temple and then they stoned him. They killed him. This was it. This was it. But in the middle of his crisis, he soaked in something. And what did he soak in? He soaked in the gospel that it's all about Jesus. He set his eyes on the author and the perfecter of his faith. That he set his heart on things above and he set his mind on things above. And in Colossians, Paul encourages us as believers that are full, like Stephen was full, to arrange our lives in such a way that we can soak in that reality. So that's my challenge to you today. If that's true about you, uh, what's missing? Are you soaking in the fullness that is yours in Christ? Because there may be things in your life that you need to bring to that tray to let it soak. You may be struggling with sin today that you need to come and let it soak by setting your mind on things above and what Christ has done for you on the cross. You have fears that are debilitating you today? You may need to make those things, bring those things and let them soak. Do you have success today? Has God given you resources beyond the scope of normal people? Maybe that needs to be brought to the reality that Christ is at the right hand of the Father and let it soak. Decisions you need to make? Kids? Your own heart? Unless you let these things soak, it is going to be very difficult for you to live out of the fullness of that. How will you rearrange your life to live in the reality that this is true? It seems so inconvenient, doesn't it? It seems so weird to curse what's normal for everybody else for us to walk in the supernatural power that something has changed within us. That's what God came to do through His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. I uh, I have a motorcycle. I'm like getting nothing out of you, man. Come on, dude. Does anybody else have a motorcycle here? It is not. <laughs> it gets out of the shop on Tuesday. Thank you very much. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, it's weird because I, I kind of like riding alone, man. You know, it's kind of that whole lone wolf thing. You know, I don't know. So teach me how to ride with you, brother. All right. Maybe we could start by me just riding on the back of your motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I bought. I love motorcycles. I've had them all my life, and uh, except for the last season of my life, and um, so I bought this old vintage motorcycle, and uh, and so I have it, you know, and I love just everything about a motorcycle. I've got a son who, at the time, was 12 years old, and he comes to me and he goes, "Father," 
And I said, yes, my son. And he, he said, would you teach me how to ride a motorcycle? This is a 900cc. Uh, I can't pick it up, okay, when it lays over. Not that I lay it over, all right, because I'm good. All right, anyway. So I said, well, sure. So we get on, we go down to this church parking lot down over here on Franklin Avenue and I, or Franklin Boulevard or Drive or whatever. And so I put him on the front and, you know, and I'm like revving the engine. I say, you know, feel the power, man. You know, and he's just loving it. And I'm like, this is the clutch, this is the brake, here are the gears. And I've got my hands on his hands and we're just, we're riding around the parking lot, you know, and I'm revving it, you know, I'm riding wheelies across the yard. No, I'm not. All right. That would be cool though, wouldn't it? That'd be insane. But so we ride like that for about 30 minutes and then I kind of take my hands off a little bit and he's learning how to switch the gears and uh, he's getting all excited like, Dad, I'm really doing it, right? And I said, yeah, you're doing it. It's all you, you know, with my hands, like his hands here, my hands here. You're doing it, you know. And then after about an hour, we pull up and we're taking a break and we're just looking at it. And he's like, oh, Dad, that's an awesome motorcycle, you know. And I said, great, get on it and ride. And he goes, what? I said, man, he's 12, all right? Do it. Really? I'm like, yeah. So he gets on it, starts it, and uh, he's rides it around a little bit, and he's doing it. And I said, now go around the church. And so he goes around the church, and I wait, and I wait. <laughs> And I wait. he doesn't make it back around the church. So I go running around and there's the bike uh, on its side. And he's trying to pick it up with all his might. And I come running up and he's going, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I messed up. You know, I got in the gravel and I didn't know what to do. And it came out from under me and fell over. And I said, are you OK? And he goes, I'm OK. okay I scratched like your blinker light. I'm so sorry. And he was seriously sorry because just when he was getting to experience the reality that he could ride a motorcycle, he crashed. So we put the bike up and we squatted down. I said, let's look at that, that side uh, blinker light because we're, we're never going to replace that. Never. It was chipped and scratched up. I said, we're never going to replace it because that will always remind us about your first motorcycle wreck and the day you learned how to ride a motorcycle. And so his shame now became a badge of honor for him. And now my son, who is 18, uh, he loves to ride the motorcycle, and he's not afraid of it. Matter of fact, he can do stuff on motorcycles that I can't do. And he will even tell you that with 900 cc's, what will he say about that power? It's not enough. I wish I had a bigger bike. Give me more power. Now, what I'm saying to you guys this morning, is it true that we've been given the fullness of Stephen? Is it true that we've been given the Holy Spirit, that we've been given grace, that we've been given faith, that we've been given wisdom, that all these things have been given to us because of what Christ has done on the cross? If that is true, are you ready to get on the bike of that? 
And are you ready to ride? Are you ready to rearrange your life to say, I will become a master of those things that God has given me. And I will learn to walk in His strength and walk in His power and let my life rev in the engine of that so that even when I wreck, my shame becomes my glory because where sin increases, grace increases even more. Even that won't keep me from walking in the reality that I have been filled with the fullness of Christ. Is that true? I told you you wouldn't believe it. Nobody believes it. I'm not kidding you. Every day becomes a journey of choosing to believe that or not. Doesn't it? Every day I look in the mirror and I go, what a sad representation of the truth that's been planted within me. God is glorious. That's why I take my eyes off the mirror. And I set my mind and my heart on things above. That's what I think God's calling us as a movement to be about. People that point to Jesus. Because he has filled us. And we're about to come to this table. And if we had another hour, we could go through scripture and talk about how remembering is a part of this spiritual journey of learning to ride the bike that our Father has put us upon. Okay? We don't have time to do that, but Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. That this is a holy moment that he's given us the ability to taste and to touch the reality that he has birthed us from the broken place to the complete place. That he's taken us from not a people to being a people, to being lost, to being found. The new has come and the old is gone. And the old is gone forever. Forever. So we come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let me pray for us, and then I'd like to read you one more thing before we come to the table. Lord, we thank you that you are good. We praise you that you are more powerful than we can comprehend. And Lord, we are afraid sometimes to understand the power that you have birthed within us as your people through through your son's work on the cross. Lord, that kind of extravagant, outrageous love of a father is foreign to many of us. And it's easier to believe sometimes the work of my own hands than it is to receive the free gifts that you would bestow upon us through your son's work and your Holy Spirit. Oh, but Lord, give us imaginations to, to, to dive into the depths of the riches of your kingdom through this table.